0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. This is episode 42. I'm here with Paul Gilmartin, who is the host of the podcast uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, I did his podcast. What number was that, Paul? Do you remember?
1: Somewhere like... 400 and maybe
0: 25? Wow, because I'm, I'm like at that? so 42. You're at 425. Uh, and I'm excited to have Paul on today because, you know, we had a chance to talk extensively before we recorded my episode on your podcast and, uh, and just learning about your journey and why you would even start a podcast called Mental Illness Happy Hour. And you recommended a book to me. Silently Seduced, Mm -hmm. which I've read, which shed uh, a lot of light on uh, some of my behaviors and um, made me go, oh, that's why I do this or that's why I do that. So I'm fascinated to to talk to you and hear about your journey and your life lessons. Uh, So without further ado, we have Paul Gilmartin. Tell me, Paul, what made you start your podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour? Uh,
1: it was 2011. I was still doing, uh, I was still hosting a TV show uh, that I was doing then. I'd been doing it for a number of years. I was still doing stand-up, but not a whole lot. And I had gone off my meds, and I thought because two, three months passed and the depression hadn't come back that I was out of the woods. At about five months it snuck back in, but I didn't recognize it. And the suicidal thought started. Mm. And it really, I was, really became convinced that I was never gonna experience joy again in my life, that I was gonna always feel sad. Uh, And I was having suicidal thoughts. I wasn't making plans, but I was having a lot of suicidal thoughts. And it suddenly occurred to me, oh my God, This is because I went off my meds. This is the depression coming back. And I went back on them. Within three days, I felt better. And I thought, shit, I've been seeing a psychiatrist. At that point, it was, I don't know, 12 years. I've been in therapy. I believe that mental illness is a real thing, and I got fooled by it. And I thought, somebody needs to talk about this in a way that's accessible and real. And the template kind of was my support groups, how we, one minute we're crying, the next minute we're laughing at some fucked up joke. And I thought, what about people just coming on and sharing about their battles? Things out, you know, it doesn't have to be limited to addictions. Um, what what if I tried that? And that was kind of the template for And And originally I thought it was really just going to focus on artistic people and and their mm-hmm. kind of creative process mm-hmm. and the link between that. But I, I found that to be limiting and very quickly expanded it to other people's stories and also started having listeners on because they would write to me and share some of their stories. And I'd be like, wow, this would be a really interesting episode.
0: You, you know, it's it, I, what's so valuable about what you said is that um, the, it, it, you know, you just didn't limit it to addictions, right? Because when we talk about having battles we, we usually think about, we always go to worst case scenario, addiction, uh, you know, drugs, sex, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it could it could be, uh, uh, you know, internal mm-hmm. in terms of, well, not internal, but it could be a cell phone addiction. It could be uh, exercise addiction. It could like, be that
1: your life is just getting small. Small. And pr- and
0: comfortably
1: predictable, but mm. kind of sad and kind of lonely.
0: Yeah. You just kind of on autopilot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just talking to some friends last night about, uh, my mom, she is uh, in her sixties, but she t- takes care of elderly people. You know, you mm. think at that age, like she's old, but you know, my mom is young at heart, but, uh, she has lost, uh, two clients to, uh, she had two clients who had dementia. And what was interesting about that is both of those clients also were neurosurgeons. And I was like, that's fascinating that brain surgeons uh, are experiencing dementia. Because you think about a brain surgeon, you think very intelligent, somebody mm-hmm. who is engaged and active. And you like, that brain shut down? And when I started to look at the literature on it, because it, it really kind of bothered me. I was like, if a brain surgeon is getting dementia, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> but... Uh, To circle back to what you were saying, Paul, um, brain surgery, once you learn how to do it, it becomes routine. They really don't, it doesn't require much thought. For most brain surgeries, unless they, you know, they have some.
1: It's not brain surgery, right?
0: It's not right. After a <laughs> while, it's not brain surgery, right? Right. And so these brain surgeons, they are bored. That's why, like when you watch Grey's Anatomy and and all, mm-hmm. and you see people doing surgery, they got music playing. They're talking trash. They're yeah. they're winking at, uh, you know, whoever they're sleeping with in the episode. They just right. kind of zoned out and they're just like do 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 do. You know, it's like. You know, making eggs and stuff. They're just mm-hmm. in there doing it, they they suture it up and they go home and uh it just taught me the it, it was a it was a great life lesson in that no matter what you're doing and and no matter uh how long you've been doing it, like you gotta keep mixing it up. Stay curious. Yes, stay curious. Which you do. You have this uh amazing uh garage uh, that is now housing, uh, all types of tools. Can you speak to that? Uh, yeah, I love, I love woodworking, Ma- just, you know, making stuff like cutting boards end
1: tables, coffee tables, um, just trying to create stuff that, uh, uses that creative energy. And, and, uh, it's a passion of mine that playing guitar, playing hockey, I just think having a lot of hobbies, uh, is one of the things that makes life worth living. And I I read somewhere that when there's a wrongful death suit in court, one of the ways that they calculate the worth of someone's life is how many extracurricular activities they had, how many hobbies they had. And the more hobbies you had, the more that life was deemed valuable. Really? Yes.
0: And so... Or
1: maybe it's injury. Uh, I'm not sure which if it was injury or death, but, uh, yeah. So, so, so there, there is, I suppose, a lot of belief that it adds, it adds to the quality of your life. I, I truly believe that it's, I would go crazy if I didn't have these outlets,
0: you know? Yeah. Cause you know, I put my podcast out twice a week and people are like, that's a lot. And, I realized I need I need to have a lot going on. If I if I just put it out once a week, I'd be be like filling my thumbs. So I kind of like the challenge of like putting it out twice a week. Um and, you know, there's a new book coming out called Range, and they talk about like the 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 genius, the people that we call geniuses, and we usually think of them as being very myopic, like focused on one thing only. But uh, what they found is most geniuses and people who are really creative have multiple hobbies. Like Leonardo da Vinci, he you know he was a tinkerer. He built bombs. He painted. He's like he had a, a myriad. He had multiple hobbies and 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 things that he had his hands involved in that uh, kept him engaged and kept him going and, and kept him thriving. What uh what do you what do you what got you into cutting boards specifically? Like that's such a random. Well it's one of the simpler <laughs> it's one of the
1: simpler things and and the reason I still make them is they're great gifts
0: for mm. for
1: people's birthdays yes. or just yep. to say you know I love you um, I started <laughs> I took a woodworking class in high school and just immediately fell in love with it. everything about it, the smell of the sawdust yeah it felt like recess uh. and i I liked my teacher he had kind of a a dry sense of humor. And he really took me under his wing because he saw that it sparked something in me. And so then I took the next level course after that. And it he he encouraged, well, let's put it this way, he didn't discourage me taking on a really big project my senior year, which was building a bar. He said, Wow, I don't know if we can get this done in a in a semester, but let's give it a shot. And it was, I suppose in some ways, I look back now, there was a bit of a father figure thing there because my mm-hmm. dad didn't, other than coaching a little bit of Little League, he really wasn't involved in my life a lot, mm-hmm. even though he lived in the same house. He was kind of a checked out alcoholic, provided financially, was not abusive, but was in his own world. And I suppose that could be called neglectful. um uh, but I think I've always loved wood. I grew up backed up to a forest preserve, playing in the woods, the smell of wood. I love guitars. So there was just something in me that that connected with that. Once I graduated, I didn't woodwork until I got sober in 03. So what's that, from 81 to 2003? A long time. And I found out that I had all this kind of uh, energy to spare when I wasn't hung over all the time and thinking about killing myself. And it just started with, I uh, went to Home Depot to get, I don't know, a paintbrush or something because I was going to redo uh, uh, the walls in the bathroom. And I saw some of these woodworking machines. And I just thought, why not? Why not just get a little one and maybe do a little bit here and there, but of course, you know, having an addictive personality within a year, I had a full on wood shop and was watching countless videos to learn how to, you know, acquire better and better skills. And yeah, usually when something piques my interest, I, I kind of go full bore, uh, on it. And sometimes I'll just, you know, run the wheels off it and never do it again. And other times it will become a, a, a lifelong thing. So that's kind of where I am uh, right now with it. But I just, uh, I love it.
0: I, I love that, you know, cause I, I know for me, sometimes I won't do something because I go, well, I won't be good at it or, you know, where is it going to go or whatever. And, you know, you have that kind of growth mindset of like, let me just start off with something small. Mm-hmm. Let me start with a small wood shop and then just see what happens. And, you know, small investment, baby steps and then, and then it's it's slowly grown over time. You know, yeah. I can't imagine. I remember last time I was in there, I was like, "Oh my god, I was!" It was incredible what you set up in there, and and I think you were like, you had something else that was on the way that you're excited about, yeah. and, and so you're just slowly scaling it up, right?
1: Yeah, and and as you upgrade tools, you get to appreciate mm-hmm. how much better, because yeah. anybody who crafts things knows is you are limited by the quality of your, of your tools. And uh, when you get tools that kind of open new horizons for things you can do, or just improve the quality of it, the accuracy of the joinery and stuff like that. It's just very, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Uh,
0: Let's, can we, let's backtrack a little bit uh, because you talked about, you know, struggling with depression and, and going on meds. What, what was happening that You know, what age did you start your meds? And then what was happening that brought you up to that? Because I know a lot of people um, are thinking about going on meds and are afraid of it because of all the things that we've heard. But then you're saying that, you know, you felt so much better once you got back on. Can you talk us through that?
1: There was a couple of different phases. Uh, My probably deepest trough was... 1999 towards the end of 1999 uh my appetite was going away um I was losing weight which is weird because then everybody's telling you you look great and they have no idea that you're just thinking about killing yourself all the time it's funny because I was professionally I was doing great I was achieving a lot of the dreams that I had but I couldn't feel them I couldn't feel my life it felt like it was on the other side of a plexiglass window and I thought, something's wrong. You know, everybody's telling me, God, man, you, you have such a great gig. I'm so jealous. And I thought, why do I, why do I struggle to get through the day? And I thought, I should go see a psychiatrist. And uh, I did. And meds started to help me. But I was still drinking. So they could only do so much. And then they, they, as my drinking got worse, they really became almost non-effective. And so if I was 37, when I started them, by the time I hit 40, I kind of bottomed out with my drinking and got sober. And then the meds had a chance to work. And I'm grateful that the psychiatrist I had said to me, if you don't quit, drinking and doing drugs. I can't treat you anymore because I'm wasting both of our time. Wow. And that was the impetus for me to, for me to get help. And I'm so grateful I did because I learned so many tools to, to cope with life instead of numbing myself. And, you know, life can still be a struggle, but the baseline for how bad things get is so much higher than it used to be. When things are bad today, and maybe i'll i'll sleep a lot or i'll kind of withdraw socially you know maybe i'll go online a little too much but uh you know much better much better than it used to be so uh i think my depression for the most part is uh pretty well managed there's yeah. still some uh blah feeling when it gets like this time in the afternoon there, There is a feeling that I have to lay down. Right. Um, Adderall had helped it, but I just didn't like that it was making my blood pressure higher. Mm. So I've gone all off Adderall, all but uh, 10 milligrams once in the, in the morning. But I also take four other psych meds. And I don't like that. But one of the things I learned in recovery is that there's a certain amount of surrendering to what is.
0: Right, it's just like accepting like this is who I am, yeah. and this is the this is what I I need to function. It's kind of like with a car, like this is the gas you got to put in there yeah. to take care of it. And what are the side effects of not being, wow, on meds for me? And wow. I wish there
1: was. I I have tried everything. You know, I think meds should be the unless somebody is in acute crisis. I think meds should be the last house on the block. You know, I think we should try talk therapy, medication, or not medication, meditation, eating right, you know, support groups, all of that kind of stuff. I think we should try that first. And if there's still, you know, really bad anxiety or depression, and obviously if somebody has something like schizophrenia, yep. you know, medication is, from what I understand, the only thing that's, that's going to help that
0: when i uh you know i i I battle with depression also i also wonder if i'm I'm battling more boredom that's looking like depression but that's all the discussion they can they can
1: often seem uh, it can present itself at least in our view or to other people as laziness but i heard uh Andrew Solomon, the guy that wrote the Noonday Demon, which is considered by many to kind of the, be the bible of uh, depression.
0: What's he, the what's the name of the book?
1: The Noonday Demon.
0: Oh, all right.
1: And, and he said the opposite of depression isn't happiness; it's vitality. And I thought that is so true. It's you know, it's the the ability to get out of bed and want to face the day. You know, having that kind of resilience. So,
0: yeah. Well, you know, I one of the ways that I uh, handle my depressive episodes is sleep also. Because I read somewhere that when Albert Einstein, because he, he, I think he suffered from bipolar, mm-hmm. and they said, uh, you know, they were like, how do you manage it? He's like, well, when I'm manic, I work. And when I'm depressed, I sleep. And I really find that, you know, instead of, it goes back to what you're saying, like, you know, accepting what is. and I, And I, I
1: assume... When he was manic and when he was depressive, he didn't comb his hair.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's the result of not getting it. And and I realized, like, instead of fighting it and saying I should have energy because, you know, you get into that, that thought pattern of I'm just being lazy. It's like, no, just go lay down. Take a nap because. And don't shame yourself. And don't shame yourself because otherwise what I find is I end up, and I know when I'm fighting sleep and fighting what really is. Because I, I start to go into very self-sabotaging behaviors of overeating, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's food or sex or point, like whatever it is, I become obsessive mm-hmm. over something that is, is taking me away from my other goals. And uh, I find that if I just go, you know, just go lay down for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it is, I, you know, I don't mean like shutting the world out forever, but, you know, just taking a nap, resetting, or meditation, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, just shutting down my system is overwhelmed yeah. and I'm not really aware of it but it's coming out in these very uh, you know other in these other ways mm-hmm. where I'm like ah that's what that is and uh, when you if you can catch it, it becomes a powerful tool
1: really powerful yeah and uh, I sometimes will think of it as the flu you know just because it's our brain doesn't mean it's any less important. Than if you had the flu, your body is worn down. It doesn't matter if it's because of emotions or trauma or whatever the, the cause of it is. Mm-hmm. The important thing is that your body is
0: telling you, "Hey, we need, we a need rest, yeah, we need a break." Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people who don't realize um, how uh, much energy they're taking in. Mm -hmm. of the world of news you know i'm sure you're like me where i can't start my day with the news it's too much and even if i don't think it's too much it is too much because it uh, you know the way i look at the world and approach the world later it it's it's kind of reflective of how i perceived it early in the morning Mm -hmm. you know the uh what you said you're taking four meds now right in addition to the 10 milligrams of Adderall of Adderall. Yeah. Um, so for what was your diagnosis, full diagnosis, and then what are the meds you're taking?
1: Uh, the, my psychiatrist, I asked him one day, I said, what is it actually that I have? What's the is there a name for it? And he said, uh, treatment resistant depression due to childhood adversity is what he calls it. Okay. Uh, so I started off with, uh, I've probably taken, Eighteen different meds, but the ones that I've kind of settled on uh, are Selexa, Welbutrin, Buspar, Lamictal, and Adderall. But I'm hoping to get completely off Adderall. It's just that feeling of having to lay down every day at, at three o'clock is has come roaring back. But the other issue was my blood pressure was going up to like 145. So
0: mm-hmm. You know, and I how have long to, have you been taking those meds?
1: Well, the the Lamictal, probably six years. The Adderall, maybe two, three years. Uh-huh. And then the Welbutrin, Buspar, and Celexa, probably 12 years.
0: So, the Adderall that so is it are you having to take a nap because it's it's like giving you energy in the morning and then there's a crash that comes with that? Well, or I take the on? extended
1: release one, which okay. is more even mm-hmm. but yeah, it just uh it it just gives you more more pep uh and it's not a euphoric pep like cocaine or something like that. Mm-hmm. it just gets me to the place where it doesn't feel like lifting weights to do. Wow. To go to the bank. It doesn't feel like lifting weights. Yeah, to talk to people. Uh, I'm sure you've experienced that where going to a party feels like bench pressing 500 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Putting that smile on your face Mm. when really it's just you want to stare at the wall with your mouth open. That's what feels natural.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I was just talking to a buddy about that today. I was like, when I go to parties, I literally will set my alarm on my cell phone for two hours. Yeah. I only I have two hours to be engaging, to be interested, to be interesting, and then I have to go. Yeah, or else that's
1: good that you know your your limitations. Yeah, and apparently uh, some people are energized by being around other people, Extroverts, and some people are right. are
0: drained. And right. I happen to be the latter. Yeah. It sounds like you are introverts. As well. Yeah, I'm, I'm energized up to two hours. Uh, you know, uh, unless like we really are are talking about some super engaging. You know, I'm not one. I find that, um, and, and you might be the same. Introverts, we're not good with small talk. No, I want to get to the oh big talk God. immediately. I, I I don't want. I don't care how your day was. I want to know like what your traumas. I want to know what excites you. I want to yes. know what got you out of bed in the morning. What's
1: the worst moment in your yeah, life? Yeah,
0: the best. What'd you learn? Yes. You know, I was. I remember I was um, uh, uh, taking a shower. I was at the YMCA. And this huge Russian dude, not huge like much just you know, just traditional big stocky Russian guy, he's an old guy taking a shower, and we're we're like back to back kind of thing, and I don't know this guy, I haven't seen him. And uh, it was just me and him in this showers, like one of those big open showers, and he goes, you know, as he's lathering up, he's like, What did you create today? And at first I was like, What? you know, but then another the part of my brain was like why can't we just start conversations yeah. like that, you know? And I and Instead I. Of how you doing? Huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about you? And so I think I said like I created a friendship. It was I, I brought two people together? Or uh, I forgot what the circumstance was. But I was like I created a friendship. He was like, good. You you must continue to create, and then just c- wow. continued lathering up, and that was it. Like there was no further, mm-hmm. and it just stuck with me of like. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I need more of that. Yes, that does this. not drain me. No, not at it's, all. I was, yeah,
1: to me, that's human connection. Yeah.
0: Human vulnerability. Absolutely. With Absolutely. boundaries. Yeah. No. About, yeah. yeah been, he was you know, far enough away to where I was like, I was comfortable yeah, with. He'd been twirling <laughs> his dick while he was doing it. <laughs> yeah. might've been draining. <laughs> yes. uh, right. In the shower. No pun intended. ladies yes. and gentlemen. Um, but yeah so it's it's yeah you you when you really learn how you operate um it 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 can save you energy versus uh expending energy you can you can then look forward to some of those social um uh engagements because you're like oh this is this is this is what keeps me excited and keeps me interested versus oh i hope this uh <laughs> I hope this will be fun and and when does it end, and you know where are the exits yes. you know that
1: the other thing that has really helped me is identifying authentically which relationships i actually enjoy rather than Ooh. i should like this i shouldn't like this person um I, you know i should like this person it it's um freeing yourself from relationships that are draining can really really help uh metal, your mental health and it's been one of the or setting boundaries with people uh, because yeah, you could,
0: go ahead. Cause it, you just broke up with someone, right? Like a friend. Yes. Um, yes. How well, yes. could you talk about that? Cause I heard you mention it in a, in a, yeah, in a...
1: it, it, it was one of those situations where I was just starting to feel like a second class citizen in terms of them frequently canceling and you know, Oh, I'm sorry. I was too, well, you, you know, over five days, you're not too busy to shoot back a one-sentence text. So, you know, if I had been somebody, you know, who was important to your career, you would have texted me back. Right. And I I can be acquaintances with somebody who is like that, but I can't be a close friend with somebody who is like that. And so uh, I have just taken a step back from, from that relationship. And I don't, feel any ill will towards them Uh, but what would cause me ill will would be if I felt like I should try to make a relationship with this person and hope that they change that's going to create resentment and I think that's the thing that can really exacerbate a lot of people's uh, issues is when they tell themselves I should be doing this I should be doing that when the authentic person inside themselves doesn't want to do that um, now obviously I'm not talking about you know I should stop using heroin. yeah, heroin's probably a good thing to stop using, but you know I should keep taking the calls of my you know aunt who who is belittling and passive aggressive and does nothing but drain me mm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's And, exactly. and you know,
0: because, you know, there's some people who call you and you get excited and can't wait to talk to them. And there's some people who call you and you, you just go, Uh you, you immediately feel it. it. It goes back to the idea of listening to your body. Mm-hmm. But that's challenging if we are medicating ourselves, you know, whether it's food, drugs, whatever it is to really know. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's been sober for maybe 30 years. Uh oh no, uh, uh, Julie Barr who was in a previous episode of mine, she talked about the idea of like, you know, w- when you start getting sober, you have to do everything without anesthesia for the, you know, yeah. one time to see if you still ha- feel the same way about it right. off you, drugs. And you will feel different about certain people. Absolutely. A- yeah, because because you even know like people break up like uh when they become sober. Like, you know, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you you realize like you really don't like this person you know or the the people you're with don't like you sober they like you drunk and they've been yeah. they've been trying to feed you and keep you in a state of uh uh, uh of medication whatever that is mm-hmm. uh because uh it it you know it feeds them in some way yeah. you know uh so that's why it's like if if you're in a relationship and and two people and one of you are trying to lose weight. Like you both have to be on the same page. It can't be, uh, one of us is moving, you know, forward and the other ones like I want to stay here. Uh,
1: the, probably one of the most important tools f- for me in being able to walk out the door mm-hmm. without feeling like, Oh, it's just too much. Yeah. Is my willingness to have difficult conversations with people. um, There have been maybe two or three times where people in my support group, you're going to get somebody that's super needy sometimes, and you're going to have to set boundaries with them. That's a part of growing and becoming an an adult is the reality is is sometimes we're not going to give somebody what they need because it's not healthy for us, and they will be disappointed. They might even be resentful. That's their own trip. That's their own journey to what they will make of that, but – Being able to share that I'm feeling drained by them in a loving, compassionate, diplomatic way has been hugely important for me because then I don't feel trapped by people. My compulsions flare up when I feel trapped in my life, and that's usually because I'm playing the shoulds. Well, I should answer this call because, well, you know, if the last five times that person has just gone on a monologue for 40 minutes— about themselves and hasn't asked me a single question about how I'm doing. I I don't need to pick up that phone. That's not a friend. That's somebody who's, and and it's different if you have a friend who's in crisis who right. you know, other times is there for you. You know that's different. But I I said to the you know this person, uh, I love you, man. But I feel like an audience member, wow. and our and our phone calls, and I'm feeling resentful, and I don't want to feel resentful at you, and. If I didn't care about you, I would just ignore you and avoid you, but I figured that you would you would want to know and so as difficult as this is to say there there you have it and they both thanked me the two mm-hmm. people that I've said that to one still calls me and uh and the other doesn't
0: you know i I have a friend like that. Uh, actually, I have like a, I have a, there's, there's two people like that, and what I've learned to do is when they call to put a time limit on the conversation. I'm on my way, such and such. Yeah, I go, hey, hey, what's going on? I have I have two minutes. What's mm-hmm. up? And and I'll I'll use that two minutes to des- to determine if this is a conversation I want to continue mm-hmm. because the thing about people who talk in monologues, they they also. Say interesting stuff, also. So they you know, and so a part of it's engaging. And that's what keeps you locked in. You go, but it's just too much. It's too overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. So you know those people, and but I'm like you. Sometimes I, I bench people. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I just go. I'm not gonna pick up for like. I had one friend. I didn't pick up the phone for like six months, mm-hmm. and they never got the hint that like I was benching them. But yeah. you know. And then as you slowly incorporate them back into your life. You said that you struggled with, um, you know, part of your struggle is um, childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. Can you speak more to that? Like what was going on in your childhood that uh, uh, has led to this uh, uh, depressive, uh, resistant depression? Uh,
1: Being raised by a mom who was emotionally and uh, covertly, uh, sexually uh, incestuous, um, n- not in ways that uh, you know you would think of as classic kind of incest, but using her access to my body as a child to do things that were unnecessary. Um, you know, taking my temperature rectally until I was eight years old, and had to ask her why. Why are we still doing it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, her chiding me if I if I would want to cover up or put clothes on. Um, you know, giving me a bath at 12 for a reason that just did not seem necessary. Um, confiding in me like her therapist at 7 about her marriage. Um, you know, tell, talking to me in a flirty manner. Um, yeah, th- those really, I think, did a number on my head. And I don't think my my mom is a bad person or an evil person. Um, I think she is a wounded person. And even though I love her, I can't have her in my life because I have tried to set boundaries and they've not been respected and I had to take care of myself. And so I just kind of, you know, as loving as I could, wrote a letter and said, "I, I can't have a relationship with you anymore um and this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life but it's just not healthy for me and that was that and you know the divorce that I went through those were both incredibly difficult things but um sometimes we grow from the difficult things that that we go through and it yeah it 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 made it really scary for me to let people close, um, I think, because of the stuff I experienced as a kid. Um, Intimacy, I'm I'm learning how to be intimate with people, but there's a part of me that doesn't want to let people get too close because then I feel like you're going to smother me. You're going to drain me. You're going to need more from me than I can give you. And, yeah, and, and I I was also very objectifying of women when I became an adult. I think I channeled a lot of that anger I had at my mother, unconscious anger, because I did the shoulds with, she's your mom, you should love her, um... She should be able to touch you how she wants to touch you and talk to you how she wants to t- talk to you because because she's your mom and that's just what moms do. Well, no, that's not okay. It's not okay to touch your son in a flirtatious manner and to you know do the things that she did. Um, and so I think I used sex as a way to control how close— i would let a woman get to me Mm. and the only i think safe way i could view a woman was as a conquest as a thing to meet my needs and it pains me to look back and see how i mistreated some women um I, i i wish i could go back and undo the past um but I I can't. But what I can do is hopefully learn from it and not be that guy anymore, which I'd like to think I am. And it was, I think, just kind of the classic thing of uh, hurt people, hurt people.
0: Hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. And
1: I'm not saying everybody does, but it's, it's pretty common that hurt people, hurt people. People in some way. Yeah.
0: When you said you wrote a letter to your mom, I, I have random questions about that. Mm-hmm. One is how long was the letter? I don't know why that matters in my head, but this it was question, about a page. And what did that letter look like? Like what? Like what was the outline of it? Was it like a a middle finger to your mom? Oh no, no, not at all. It was this.
1: This 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 pains me. This is I've thought long and hard about this, and I, I love you. I'm, I don't hate you. I'm not angry at you, but I'm I'm drained by our relationship, and it's it's just not healthy for me, and I wish things could be different but I need to take care of myself. And thank you for the things that you did give me and helped me with because there were many positives. That's the part that's so difficult about cutting contact with somebody is there almost always are positives, great memories, things that you, she was like the only person who spoke out against racism on our on our block. Um, you know, she worked with poor people. It's people are fucking complicated, man.
0: Right? It, it's you study any of the the greats; they all had. You know, it's like Michelangelo's agony and ecstasy. It's like yeah. you can't. It's hard to completely hate anybody because yeah. there's a part of them you go, "Oh, really? Wow, that was nice." You know, it was right. like even Alexander the Great, who like he slaughtered millions of people. But then you find out like he was really trying to unite different cultures so that, you know, it could, you know, everybody can get along and, you know, like his methods were horrible. But the idea of like what he was, people are complicated. People are complicated. And that's one of the things that my
1: therapist really worked with me to help me grasp because um, one of the kind of classic traits the child of a narcissist will have is black and white thinking Mm. and so it's are they good or are they bad no it's not about good or bad is is it are they healthy or or where on the scale of healthy or unhealthy are they for you uh overall and and i had to say it there's just too much negative Mm -hmm. for the, the the positive it's just um i would Know, be depressed for two weeks after we get off the phone, or even just reading a letter of hers. I could just feel.
0: You have to recover from it. Yeah, you know, I, I read one of the uh, most powerful, one of the most powerful things I've ever read was, um, you know, if something's good for you by how you feel after mm-hmm. you've experienced it, and you know, do you feel guilt? Do you feel shame? Do you feel energized? Freedom. Do you feel freedom? Uh, peace peace you know it's like that's one of the reasons why uh i don't go to the movies as much mm-hmm. i realize like rarely do i leave a movie feeling great like because i go in with the idea of like oh you know maybe go relax go catch a movie but rarely do i i leave feeling wonderful you know like a lot most a lot of movies aren't that great mm-hmm. um and uh you know a lot of the, the the habits you know whether it's food or you go oh uh, you know you, where you eat your feelings you don't feel great afterwards i always feel great after a hike mm-hmm. i feel great after uh meditate or i wouldn't say great after meditation i feel peaceful yeah uh i feel like this this energy after meditation um yeah but there's and, no and, regret there's no right. pain and and a nap You generally feel better after a nap, so why wouldn't you take it? Why wouldn't you give that?
1: You're uniquely positioned to be your own best friend. Why would we be our own worst enemy? Yet that's so often what we do, and I think it's because we mistake self-shaming for discipline, and it's not. We can still learn from a mistake or a foible and grow from it. We don't need to to shame ourselves for it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so and so are you is that still the status of your relationship with your mom now where yeah, yeah. and is there how long has well, how long ago did you write that letter
1: uh well, I cut contact with her in twenty twelve mm-hmm. and then I tried after a year of no contact i I tried to start communication via letter mm-hmm. and I set some boundaries. And those boundaries were crossed. And I got very depressed, and I didn't respond, and she kept writing. And I eventually knew after probably another year or two, um, I I think I need to, to write a, good, a goodbye letter. And I don't know if it was for her or for me or both, but it felt like it needed to be done um, because I had made my decision that I just— I can't keep going to a dry well.
0: I had to do the same thing with my mom also. Uh, you know, the conversations were draining and uh, I had to put her on a bench for a while. And it, it was tough. It was not easy. I explained to her, I, I did mine, uh, I talked to her and I was like, listen, if this is how our conversations are going to go, then I don't. we don't need to have these conversations. And uh, it took a year of me... Actually, like, I would hang up on her. Good she would for call, you. And as soon as she went into, you know, the cycle, which I've already laid out. I was like, here, look, if you say and do this, then I'm going to hang up on you. Mm-hmm. And it took a year of that before we finally got to a place where, I'm excited to talk to her and I and That's I love amazing. talking to her. I mean every now and again she slips up and then right. I got a, you know, I got a reminder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but it's a powerful thing. And and so many people are afraid
1: to set boundaries yes. and enforce them with consequences. Absolutely. But boundaries are useless unless you are prepared to back them up with consequences. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You have to reinforce it with yourself. You have to reinforce it uh, with other people it 's just so important, even with your work, there's so many people who, and i and I know I struggle with this where i haven 't i 'm learning how to set boundaries with my work because uh you know you can be like i 'm just hustling and blah blah blah, but then you hit that wall mm-hmm. and you eventually you crash and and that 's not a good thing
1: one of the things my therapists uh kind of opened my eyes to. Is thinking of your life in four quadrants, okay. and ex- assessing each one in terms of its health. And the quadrants are work, play, love, and health.
0: And how do you feel like you're functioning? And what, like what? So you know what I struggle with is the play. Right? And how do you... And is that that's part the one of the
1: I'm, hobbies? That's the one I'm kicking ass at. You're kicking ass at yeah, play. Yeah. Health, I could use a little help on because I drag my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, making doctor's appointments. Mm. Um, you know, I got a couple issues. Yeah, because how old are you? Uh, 56. Okay,
0: right. Got to uh, get in there.
1: No, sure. work is, is good. Um, and... I think the love is good. It's uh, I'm kind of at that phase in in my relationship where it's deepening, but it also beget, gets more complicated the more you get to know people and your issues come up and you have to negotiate those. So, um, but but I have so much love in my life, you know, uh, between my support group friends, my girlfriends, the dog that's practically on your lap right now.
0: She's a rescue, right? Yeah, Grace. Gracie. Gracie, Gracie. Yeah, she's just... And how long have you had Gracie? About two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when, as soon as I, you know, for the listeners out there, as soon as I walked in the door, Gracie was all over me all over you. and it just adorably not you know some dogs are like annoyingly all over you but <laughs> and she's all over me right now actually as well
1: she heard now. the word on the street that you were somebody <laughs> to be reckoned with and yeah. she's like i gotta get next to this guy See,
0: it's it's amazing because I've never had a dog um and even growing up i didn't know anybody with dogs none of my friends i mean I'm sure i did but Like it just was never a part of my life, really. uh, Pets, and but in my building, people get on the elevator and they have dogs, and the dogs immediately gravitate towards me. Dogs and children, yeah, the two things I don't have in life. I think the universe is trying to talk to me. (laughs) I I was just gonna say, man, you know,
1: it. it, There, dogs can fill a, a lot of kind of parts of us. Yeah, you know, obviously they can't fill. Feel everything, yes. but uh, I know my house feels uh, a lot fuller.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. What kind of dog? What kind of breed? She's
1: uh, I definitely got some poodle in her, mm-hmm. and I don't know, maybe a little cocker spaniel. Wow. But she's yeah, she's about fifteen pounds, and um, oh, just a little. So you said the house
0: feels fuller?
1: Yeah, it feels fuller. Um, it just living here by myself. There would often be a, a feeling of... And I think also because I've always had dogs. Since I was 10 years old, mm. I have always had mm-hmm. a dog. Um, so the last two years, I've not had a dog. Uh, my ex and I share one. And so I get to see her maybe three times a week, the dog we share. But it's not the same as having a dog that takes a nap with you, that you know is dancing on its back feet when you walk in the door, that curls up and you know s- snuggles with you while you're watching a movie that's that's the those are the things that I just I just love I just love
0: yeah. and so you have a dog you have your hobbies you also are in a support group right couple yeah. a couple of support groups yeah uh... Can, can you speak more to that how many support yeah. groups are you in and uh, two how different ones
1: and one kind of focuses on intimacy um issues and the other focuses on like addictions and uh yeah they're they both helped me i started going to the one for addictions first and then i discovered that while i was able to get vulnerable to a certain degree and the support group on a personal level there was still walls up around me a fear of letting people in to that last 50 yards Right, right and this second support group has helped me with that. And that's where I actually uncovered the childhood trauma. Cause I had just, it's not that I had forgotten it. I had minimized it. And when mm. I did finally deal with it, you know, I broke down and, and was sobbing and I was living with my ex at the time. We were still married and, you know, I, I said, my mom used me. She tricked me. I was a good boy, and I didn't deserve that. And she said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. She had said to me all along, you have not dealt with the way your mom talks to you, touches you, Mm. treats you. Mm -hmm. You've not dealt with it. And I used to get resentful because I'd be like, no, I've been to therapy. I've talked about it. But, you know, apparently I, I hadn't. And that was a breakthrough in me letting other people in because I think when we experience in childhood somebody who kind of invades us that we're powerless over, we put a wall up that then we don't let anybody walk through. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered is it's okay to have individual walls up Mm -hmm. for certain people, Mm -hmm. but to then, based on trust, let other people get get closer.
0: Right. You don't want to build a fortress. Right. right? Yeah. Game of Thrones. It's, you know, you, you can't. No man is an island. You can't exist by yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, with the. Uh, now, with the intimacy group. Right. Um, you know, with an addiction group, I imagine people are standing up and they're saying, this is my addiction. And, mm. uh, you know, how 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 is the intimacy group different? In Structure versus the addiction group
1: uh our compulsions are maybe unhealthy relationships mm. or withdrawing socially mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. sexually um, uh, compulsive behavior you know right. promiscuity mm. um, you know using sex or relationships to validate us, you know objectifying ourselves or other people mm. rather than seeing. Them or ourselves as human beings. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of unwiring the, the wiring that we had to put in as kids to survive because of abuse or neglect.
0: Well, you know, and, and with social media today, it's so challenging not to objectify people because uh, a lot of people are presenting uh, online as objects, right? Like yeah. people are everywhere, all of a sudden, everybody has a brand. And a thing, and it's we. It's so easy that we look at somebody and go, "We, I know who you are," and we mm-hmm. just judge them, and we, a quick snapshot of what the how amazing their life is, or how horrible their life is, and uh, so it's kind of like the media is kind of training us to objectify uh, each other based on criteria. You
1: know, I. I- may sound like a dick saying this but i question the mental and emotional health of anybody who feels a compulsion to curate their entire life online Mm. to me it's it's a a bit of a um uh, and i can relate to this feeling a a feeling of uh i'm going to be forgotten Mm. i'm not enough right um one of my deepest fears is that my life will be forgettable and that i will be left behind, abandoned in some way, whether it's attention or you know, living alone and nobody helping me
0: as I die. Right, <laughs> you know, it right. can go
1: pretty dark. Yeah.
0: the, the you, you know, it's fascinating is I expect to be uh, <laughs> alone when I die and not in like a, in a sad way, but in a, um, like, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're alone. Right. Like it's that that last breath, whether people are holding you or a million people around you or whatever. But to me, um, you know, when, when people go talk about leaving a legacy and being remembered, I'm like, everything's going to be forgotten. Like nobody's talking about Alexander the Great with all the things that he's done. I mean, maybe a couple people here and there. But the average person on the street is like, who, what? I don't care. Mm-hmm. Even with. All the things that he's done. Nobody's talking about Genghis Khan, Steve Jobs, every every now and again. That you know, it's like, but nobody on that the average person isn't really caring about those accomplishments and uh and you know, so all that stuff will be washed over. You, you know, you when I was hiking at the Grand Canyon, you're like, wow, the Grand Canyon is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. amazing, but soon. It'll be no more for whatever reason, through erosion or explosion or whatever. It's all going to be forgotten. You know, not just me. It's just the cycle of life where species become extinct. And I think when I look at life in that bigger picture where it's just, oh, it's not just me that's going to like everything, like no matter what you invent and do. Right.
1: And it's kind of freeing Absolutely. but also terrifying <laughs> at the same time. But the, the one thing that I do think we can leave a legacy of is, is love. Okay. I think the love and the positive energy and the negative energy that we put out into the world, it changes people. It can mm. affect or, you know, mm. at the very least influence people's lives. You know, somebody like, you know, I don't know. Mother Teresa, the amount of love and service that she gave in her life, I'm sure touched so many people. Mm. Well, those people that then have that love in them mm-hmm. because she modeled it for them, then maybe they're better parents and then their kids are better Absolutely. citizens. Domino and effect. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I believe that the ripples of our actions um can have can last you know, who knows how long? It's long con- after our name is forgotten. It's- I just
0: realized my fly has been oh. open. Is <laughs> uh, definitely contagious, right? You know, they. It, the research shows that when we see someone doing something good for someone else, it makes us in turn want to do something good. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine the opposite is also true. When we see somebody doing something bad to someone else, it makes us want to do bad. and And that's why, like, you know... The, watching the news or you know uh, these crime shows really aren't the best for you because you start thinking that the world is like this. Versus you know you go to a farmer's market, and you go, oh, the world is all right. You know, like yeah. different cultures, different beings, people coming together. Everybody music, wants strawberries. Special, yeah. Everybody wants to taste strawberries. I don't care where you're from. Yeah. You want to you want to get up in the oranges and the you want to smell the uh, patchouli. And uh you can And you pronounce some the word flowers. kumquat just yeah. to just yeah. to laugh. <laughs> what, what so how do you cook this? Yeah. Like we're all having the same conversations yeah. and, and uh so you know, that's the importance of getting out the house and, and not with the drawing. Is it, it reminds you of like, you know, how beautiful life can be and, and going hiking and being out there in nature. You know, you stay inside and you get wrapped up in your own your own thoughts there. Um a legacy of love. I love to end it there. It sounds powerful. It sounds um uh I, I'm so grateful that you're on this podcast. I was over here taking a million notes of of what you were saying. Like I felt like I've been to therapy. Uh, you had so many uh powerful things to say. Uh, where can people find you? Uh they can
1: find me at uh, the podcast, Mental Illness Happy Hour. The yeah. website for it is MentalPod dot com and metal pod is the social handle uh,
0: i love it please check out his podcast is i was actually listening to it on the way up here uh, such a great podcast and uh thank you paul Gilmartin, martin for doing this uh for being on the show uh once again on every show uh we love to give out the 1-800-s-u-i-c-i-d-e please make that phone call if you need to it's springtime and This is when suicides actually spike. Uh, So if you feel like maybe you should go to therapy or get in a group therapy or different groups, get involved. Make a phone call. Take a baby step. Uh, Don't take your mental health uh, for granted. Uh, We'll see you soon. Thank you for rating. Adios.